Good morning, church. Please join me as we read the scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 22. will be on the screen as well. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. But then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Amen. So I, I believe it was late in 20, 20, or 22, yeah, I'm getting old. 2002, I'm, I'm pastoring at a church uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, things are going well in the ministry and in life and just kind of going through the motions. It, it was an exciting time, a really a comfortable time. And I got a call from my doctor and my doctor said, hey, you have this. And he gave me this really long name that ended with T-cell lymphoma. And I just was like, okay. He's like, you have cancer. And he goes, you need to see an oncologist. And I said, well, what's that? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. And uh, so uh, I did what you did back then and you still do now when you find out. I get off the phone. I walk over to my computer. You know, it does the little and all the little dial-up things because we didn't have that cool stuff back then. But it, after like 10 minutes, I finally found myself on a website. By that time, my wife had came in, and we're trying to figure out what is this thing that I have. And no joke, the first sentence on the page, they need to work on their tact. Finding out you or someone you love has this thing is a devastating and life-changing experience. Turned with a moment of like levity to my wife and said, are you devastated? And she goes, well, well not yet. <laughs> Uh, it was unsettling. That's a word I want you to catch. If you've ever been unsettled, 
You know what I'm talking about. I really want that word to kind of hit you for just a second. You are going about your day, your life, to some extent as normal. And someone says something to you that unsettles you. It disrupts you. That's what's going to happen in Matthew 22. The parable of the wedding feast is unsettling. It's supposed to be. Honestly, I think a lot of our learning would unsettle us if we would really give mind to it. But this parable is not one that is designed to just be super encouraging. It is a description about the kingdom of God. Who's invited and who belongs. And to its audience, at its time, it is unsettling. It's hard. It is a parable that's just saturated with rejection. Like rejection. And let's just be real. Rejection is never comfortable. Rejection is never fun. It's often painful. It's definitely awkward. You know, speaking of like rejection, does anybody remember middle school? Some of you are like, I am in middle school. So in middle school, I was ahead of my time. That's the way I'm going to say it. Uh, I'm just going to look back and say I was a little bit more secure in myself, and so I didn't always go along with the group. So I did really cool things like you would do in college. Like, you know, as a college student, you would wake up, like maybe like move your hair around, put on some sweatpants, and go to that 8 a.m. class, right? You you didn't care what you looked like. It was about comfort because you were just secure. That's what I did in middle school. So I wore sweatpants to middle school every day. Yeah, middle schoolers, don't do that. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm in middle school, and there's uh, this girl, and I thought, you know, you know, we should talk. So I walk over to this girl, and I give her, you know, my best, how you doing? And she looks at me, no joke, and she goes, ew. <laughs> you wear sweatpants like every day, no. And walks away. <laughs> That's <laughs> so awesome. Oh, so bad, so bad. Anyway, like I remember it. Rejection isn't fun. Even as I laugh about it, and it's awkward, it's hard. But this rejection is unsettling, and it saturates this parable. I mean, first we're going to see the people's rejection of the king. And it's not subtle. It's treason. It's an act of war. And then we're going to see something even more unsettling. The king's rejection of the unworthy people. Their banishment. Capital punishment. And it's going to lead Jesus to a conclusion. That's our big truth this morning. Many are called. But few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, the moment I give this as our big truth, there are some theological detectives in the audience that are as excited as like Barney Fife at a crime scene. Like, you, you, you're so excited. I, and I just want to be honest. I want to calm you down a little bit. We're going to put the bullet back in the pocket. As much fun as it would be 
to talk about the doctrine of election for the next 40 minutes. That's not the subject. That's not the main point of Matthew 22. It's just not. And we're going to keep our focus there. But as we do, there are two things that I want to make sure we are aware of as we look into this passage. First, we cannot deny God's sovereignty. Election is in Scripture. It's there. It's throughout its pages. Second, we cannot deny man's responsibility. Faith and choice are in Scripture. And the responsibility back to man for what he does with the invitation of God is on him. How these things work together, that's an important discussion, but it can also be a temptation that causes us to miss the main points in sections like Matthew 22. So we acknowledge those things, we look at those things, but we need to dive in and realize here Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Specifically who's invited and who belongs. We see that coming out of Matthew 21, same flowing conversation. In verse 43, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God, there's our focus, will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. There's the declaration. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They knew. Jesus is talking about us. We are the ones who will have the kingdom of God taken from us and given to someone else. See, the Pharisees and unfaithful Israel, they, they believed that they were born into the kingdom of God. They believed they were chosen descendants of Abraham. They were God's people. And in fact, there is a partial truth to these things. They were invited, but their understanding of their belonging was misguided. And so understand the unsettling nature of Jesus' teaching. When he looks back to the Pharisees, when he looks back to Israel in this setting, and he says, you have rejected the king. You are going to be rejected by the king. And the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you, and it is going to be given to someone else. That's unsettling. And that's the tension that leads us into Matthew 22, verse 1, and the parable of the wedding feast. Verse 1, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. The king's son is getting married. That's a big deal. The expectation is those that are invited will come. They will honor the king and they will celebrate with his son. The text implies that they have already been invited. Invitations had long since been sent. 
And some commentators will even kind of talk about these guys, you know, they got an invitation. Man, they probably were proud. Look, the kings invited me to something. But they have these invitations. And yet now, as the party is about to begin, now when it's time to drop what you're doing and come to the celebration, no one responds. No one shows up. To the Pharisees who are listening to this, in the beginning, this has to just be unfathomable to them. To get your mind around what these people were doing, it's just hard to imagine. I mean, first, it would be a great honor to be invited by the king. Set all your politics and all those things aside. If the president invited you to something, that's a big deal. And this is more so than that because in kingship, that king is the authority. It's a great honor to be invited. By the way, it's a great danger to not go. Kings have the ability to, you know, eh, off with your head. Not only is it this great danger, there's a great reward if you go. Listen, some of you look like me. You're not turning down free food. It's exciting. It's good food. It's the king's food. And let's just be real. Ain't no party like the king's party. You're going. There's so many reasons to go. And yet, they don't. And you can almost see the eye rolls from the Pharisees who are listening. We're not like these people. By the way, just a quick side note. An idea is fine, but it's hard when it becomes reality. What do you mean? Making a decision is easier than living with it. It's easy to make a decision. It is a hard thing to live it out. And so verse 4, again he sent other servants. Isn't that an incredible picture of a patient and merciful God, again, sends other servants. Multiple invitations here just paints a picture of God again and again appealing to Israel. You look back and you think through the prophets, and again and again, this message, this call. And I would imagine that at this point, it's becoming very clear to them. He's talking about us. And so he says, again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything else is ready. Come to the wedding feast. It's time. It's now. This is it. Stop what you're doing and come. What a gracious king, by the way. Like, I don't know that I'd have that much patience. I might be offended I might be angry I might lash out but again he just continues to ask them to come consider the love and mercy on display but what happens next in verses 5 through 13 Jesus is going to describe the people's rejection of the king three different ways we'll see their rejection it becomes our outline this morning because these types of rejection, they are true of Israel 
And they are true in that context that has the Pharisees feeling that tension, being unsettled. But they are also true for us. And they should unsettle us a little bit as well. So I want to walk through them with you. First, some reject the priority of the king's invitation. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. There is a passive dismissal and a return to one's own life. Did you catch it? It's passive. And then they just go back to their life, their will. We got a beautiful picture of the gospel in baptism. Watch. It is buried, death to self, raised new in Jesus. Here what we're seeing is just indifference. I, I don't know. I mean, they might have been happy for the king and his son. They might have thought the whole thing was a bit extravagant. They might have thought there would not be a veggie option at the party. I don't know. Regardless, regardless, they had more pressing things in their own life. Regardless, their will took priority. And as we've gone through Matthew, one of the things that we have tried to show again and again, when we look at saving faith, it is death to self and life in Jesus. Jesus isn't just another priority we add to our life. Jesus is our life. All of it in him. He is our savior. He is our king. We live for him. And you can't help but wonder how many are holding on to a hope in a faith that does not prioritize the king? Oh, sure, there is some measure of belief. There is an awareness of the king. There is an awareness of the son and the wedding. And yet, the response is prioritized according to their own will. Sure, they acknowledge the king. But they go back to their farm. They go back to their business, to their family, to their hobby. Because at the end of the day, they live for themselves. There isn't death to self. There's just Jesus added on beside of me. And I'll get to it when I can, when it's convenient. There isn't a faith and a recognition that he is the king and my life exists for him. See, notice the indictment isn't against the act. There's nothing wrong with farming. There's nothing wrong with having your own business. But prioritizing it or anything else above the king is rejection. It's not faith. That's rejection. And so some reject the priority of the king's invitation. Many are busy with their own lives, but few are glad to turn their life over to the king. Second, some reject the principle of the king's invitation. Verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, 
treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their cities. This is not passive. This is a defiant rebellion and stand against the king's authority. It is a defiant rebellion and stand against the king, against his authority. See, verse 6 can be really hard for us as Western readers. It's almost, in our mind at first reaction, impossible to relate to these awful people. I mean, they captured the king's servants. They tortured them, and they killed them. I mean, I've been invited to some weddings that I really didn't want to go to, but that seems extreme. It's hard to imagine something like that. And at first read, we don't quite get what's happening. And the reason is because we don't truly understand kingship. See, the truth is their reaction is much more relatable to us than we think it is. See, kingship is built on a different government philosophy than democracy. The king's invitation is not optional. It is a summons. It is a summons with authority. To reject it is to reject the king. To reject the king is to reject the governing authority. That's treason. That is an act of war. See, they weren't just bullying the servants of the king. No, they were rebelling. They were defiantly taking a stand against the king. Let me paint a different picture for you. Oh, there's so much conversation right now in our country about the role of the government and how much they can take a stand into your life. So what if the government decides everybody has to get a vaccine and we're sending somebody to your house and you're going to get a shot? Some may be fine with that, others wouldn't. What if they said, you know what, you're going to give up all your guns, we're coming to your house and we're going to take them. What, what if they said every Saturday is a federal work day from now on and you'll work 10 hours every Saturday on different federal projects? No exception. Now, I've been around East Tennessee for a while, and I know how us rednecks think about such things like that. And you're like, you want them, come and get them, you know, and that's kind of your attitude. Right? So let's just be real. The king is imposing his authority on the people. And they're saying, no. I have a right to choose where I want to be, when I want to be, and my business is more important than your son's wedding. Who are you to tell me what I need to do? They knew that their rejection wasn't passive. They understood their rejection was treason, an act of war. And so if we're going to make it, let's make it. That's relatable to us. We struggle with authority. We think authority comes from within ourselves. We can relate to their actions. It wasn't indifference like the first rejection. 
It was a defiant stand against an overstepping king. I mean, after all, the king expected them to run their life around him. To lay down their life and their freedoms for him. So some reject the principle of the king's invitation. The king does not own me. I've got rights. I have freedoms. See, many are quick to fight for their freedoms. But few are slow to submit their freedoms to the king. Third, some reject the posture of the king's invitation. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king's own people rejected the king. The people who had the greatest access to see his character, to see his mercy, to see his love, to see his provision, rejected the king. They were unworthy. It's important that we take a second and understand in the parable why the king declares them unworthy. It is because they rejected the king's invitation. It's not because they were morally bad. It's not. There's nothing mentioned about their behavior as in some judgment of their action. They were unworthy because they did not properly respond to the invitation. They did not respond to the king. They rejected the king. And the rejection of the king is the very thing that made them unworthy. That's clearly presented in the next group of people who are invited in, good, bad, didn't matter. They rejected their king and therefore they are unworthy. And so now the invitation that was once theirs expands and goes out to the displaced, to the refugees, to the sojourners, to the poor within the kingdom, to the Gentiles. Again, I want to make sure you feel what the Pharisees are feeling in this moment. This is unsettling. Like right now, you turn on any news and you watch all the debates about all the immigration and all the things that are happening. And all those conversations, not a political view, it's just right in front of you. So here's what I want you to think about for a second. In that moment, imagine, I don't know, let's take Texas. The governor of Texas says to his people, your land, your houses, are going to be taken from you and given to them. 
That's unsettling. The king is looking out to the people and he's saying what was once yours is going to be given to them. Watch. Jesus is saying your place in the kingdom of God is being taken from you. And it's going to be given to the Gentiles. That's unsettling. Verse 11, but when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. So they've brought in whoever they could find. And they filled the festival. And the king walking through and he sees a guy with no wedding garment. He's not dressed for the occasion. And this wedding garment, I mean, it is, it's a visible pursuit. It's a fruit of honor. Like everybody would have had something like that. You have access to that. You ask for that. You do whatever you need to do. But your desire is to honor the king. There's no pursuit of honor. There, there's no pursuit and recognition of what's happening. He's just there. He's just present. The only way we will celebrate with the Son is to be clothed in His righteousness. That's it. And so there is this presumptive disregard and indifference to the King's presence. The King responds back, how did you get in here? The implication, you don't belong. You don't belong. You've seen, you've smelled, I mean, you've tasted, you've been here, you're, you're around all of it, and yet the presence of the king does not lead you to submission. There isn't honor there isn't worship, there isn't a transformed identity, there isn't a fruit of a pursuit of these things in your life. You don't believe that your life is in the sun. By the way, just a quick rab as we walk through this, young people listen to me, there continues to be this growing movement within kind of this religious thought of universalism. As long as you believe in something, as long as you just believe in the idea of God, as long as you just show up, God's going to count that as good enough. That doesn't fit with the teachings of Scripture. And this is one of those clear teachings that show you, listen, the only way we have access into the kingdom of God is to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. This guy shows up. He's present. He's there. But his heart, his faith is not. 
And the king walks by and says, you don't belong. In verse 13, the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see a fourth rejection. Again, unsettling. This time it is the king who rejects the man with his presumptive disregard for his presence. Listen, saving faith isn't fire insurance. It's not. Scripture doesn't teach that. We don't see that in Matthew. Saving faith isn't fire insurance. It is worship. It is death to self and life in full in Jesus. And how can you believe that? Led by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, how can you claim such a faith that you left to yourself are dead, hopeless, and yet he loved you so much he gave his only begotten son that you could be clothed in his righteousness, that you might have life, that you might belong. And it not change you. It not radically change the way you see the world. It not burden you by grace filled with the Spirit to pursue Christ's likeness. You don't show up at that party just indifferent, however you want. No, you show up with a heart of worship. Why? Because left to yourself, you were dead. But by the love and grace of God, you have life. That's what saving faith and repentance looks like. That's what we're seeing communicated throughout these pages in Matthew as we study and read as a church. Death to self, life in Jesus. Many are called, few are chosen. It's what Jesus concludes in verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. The summons, the invitation went to many, and yet most rejected the king. Some in defiance of his authority, some in indifference to his will, and some in disregard of his presence. Few were chosen, only a few worthy belonging in the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered whether there'll be just a lot more people in heaven than you think? A lot more in the kingdom of God or a lot less? That's an unsettling question. We don't think much about that. We don't know. We can't judge that. We can't see people's hearts. But we can study the pages of Scripture. And it is an unsettling reality that Scripture teaches us that many are called and few are chosen. It's unsettling. It's supposed to be. Like the Pharisees who held a compromised understanding of the kingdom, today our churches are filled with those who trust in a compromised gospel. They sit among us, they take it in. One day, 
the king will approach and declare, you don't belong. Matthew's already talked about that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, the Pharisees, they didn't think they were rejecting the kingdom. They didn't think that they would be, therefore, rejected by the king. And yet Jesus proclaimed, many are called, few are chosen. So an important question for you and I. How do you respond to the king? How do you respond? As we've walked through Matthew, I hope you are seeing a picture of a saving response that turns in repentance from death and self to life in Jesus through faith by the grace of God. For there is no other way unto salvation. We're gonna continue our time of worship and our time of reflection as we take the Lord's Supper And as we do, I want to parallel a couple of things for you. For believers that you might prepare your heart and that you might go into the Lord's Supper in a time of worship, in a heart of reverence. Listen, for those of you who might be here and you don't have a relationship with the King. Jesus, God's own son, took the cup of our death and sin. The father summoned the son and called him to lay down his life and take the cup of our death and sin. It was hard. Matthew 26, verse 39, says, Jesus said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, again, he said it a second time, my father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44, he says it again. And he took the cross. He took death. He took sin. 
and he bore it. He laid down his life so that he might summon us to himself in faith. So that you and I might lay down our life. So that you and I might take the cup of Jesus' righteousness. So that we might be able to stand in the glorious wedding, clothed in the righteous wedding garments of Jesus. Our sin separated us from God. And his love and his patience sent his only son to pay the penalty for that sin so that we might be redeemed, brought back in. And we have been summoned by the very work and testimony of Jesus. He gave his blood. He gave his body so that through him we might have life. He is a model and a picture of what faith really looks like. Death to self. Life in resurrected Jesus. I'm going to ask you to take just a minute and pray. I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a second. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance given to the church. It is a serious thing. It is a thing that only authentic Jesus followers should partake in. I'm going to ask you to just pray, set your heart right, confess your sin. If you've wronged someone, I'm going to ask you to go find them, talk to them. Set it right. Let us go before the Lord and take the cup with reverence, with worship, with honor that the king is due. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is in you, or which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would, peel off the top layer, take the bread, and give thanks.
In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Peel off the, peel off the bottom layer, take the cup, and give thanks. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Son. Left to ourselves, we are dead in our sin without hope. We are your enemies. And yet in mercy and love, you summoned your Son to lay down his life, to take the cup, of our sin, our death, so that through him, by faith, we may live. We praise you. We cry out and we give you glory. Thank you for redeeming. Thank you for choosing a few. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.